So here we go. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 and begin reading in verse 34. And um, at the conclusion of the message, the band will join us again. And we're going to sing um, out our, what we know to be true about our great God. And then we'll uh, dismiss and prepare the grill. Invite some friends over, go out, wherever you're headed. Kick off, not at 126, but at 125, the mile high is it still the Mile High, Sta Mile High Stadium? I think it is, yeah, I don't know. Um, but we're going to do this. Do you believe? Whoa, whoa, where are the believers? Do you believe? Okay, I just, for a second there, I didn't think I was at church home. Um, that's awesome. Matthew 10, verse 34 to 39. Uh, if you brought a friend today, that is amazing. Uh, just prepare yourself a little bit. This is quite possibly the most challenging passage I've ever preached on. True story. Um, and you'll see why. Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Okay. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. It's going to get worse before it gets better. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That part I understand. <clears throat> it's like, oh, that's where that came, comes from. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Wow. Jesus continues, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And maybe you've heard this verse before. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Can I read this to you in the Message Bible? If you don't go all the way with me through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. Wow. If your first concern is to look after yourself, You'll never find yourself. And here it is. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. Somebody say amen. I'm going to title this message, When I Can't Let Go. When I Can't Let Go. And I'd like to suggest that um, the big idea today is that God wants us to let go, to trust him, to trust his leadership, his love, and his control in our life. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the moments that we share. Help us to experience you in a real, tangible way. We, we want to see you, Jesus. We love you. We trust you. Um, God, I pray that we would leave this room, this space, or anyone watching online, we would leave these moments thinking far more about you than ourselves. We need to learn to live that life that you have invited us into. Thank you for your grace. Oh God, be with the young men in green and blue in Denver, Colorado. God, may we run swiftly. May we throw accurately. May we run strongly. And may we score more touchdowns than the Broncos. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I just felt like praying very specifically today. <laughs> I don't know what your family did this summer, I do hope that you made memories. I think we're like a week or a couple of weeks into school and, and uh, 
for, for whatever reason, I think that's kind of the beginning of, of, of autumn or, or fall, which I absolutely love this season. College football's back. The Hawks are back. Um, it's going to be just a great school year. And, you know, maybe your kids are all grown now or they're in college or you got grandkids going back to school, but it's, it's the back to school season and it's kind of those, those days and those moments you reflect on the summer that was. Now for the Smith family, we had a pretty significant summer because it was the summer that my wife turned 40. Not important, but I'm not 40 yet. But <laughs> I married an older woman, you get it. Uh, I was in seventh, she was in eighth, she just... She was consumed with me. But um, <laughs> so we celebrated Chelsea's 40th birthday. So we did a lot of fun activities, made a lot of memories, not the least of which was some cliff jumping. And uh, so we got out on the water, as you do in the summer season, and we were, we were out there with my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. So it's the, the Olemans and the Smiths, all the cousins together. And, and um, they decided they were going to do some cliff jumping. So the cliff jumping started at, a, at a, what I would call a healthy height. Uh, something like the height of this stage, right? It was like, we're doing cliff jumping, and that's like perfect. I'm like, yay, I love cliff jumping, this is great. And then all of a sudden, a couple of our children decided they're going to climb higher. And, and I cannot believe what happened to me internally. Like, I, let me back up for a second and say that I try always to be the cool dad. Now, the cool dad is the easy breezy dad. The cool dad is not a big deal. You'll be fine, right? The cool dad is always telling his wife, like, babe, they'll be fine. The kids are fine. Let them be teenagers. Let them grow up. They need it, right? Like, that's, that's the dad I've always wanted to be. I'm just not. <laughs> right? So, so my son, my 14-year-old, climbs up there with his cousin, and I told this story in L.A. on Wednesday, and my son was there, and he said, Dad, it was not a 30-foot cliff, it was a 50-foot cliff. So you think preachers are given exaggeration, not this one, okay? So it's about a 50-foot cliff, and, and, and he's climbing up on the cliff, and Stace and Carl will tell you, my brother and sister-in-law and Chelsea, we're, we're, we're in a boat, and, and we're, we're watching them climb like, like raw rock and cliff. This is not like, we're not at wild waves, right? And I'm like, hey! And all of a sudden, something starts to happen in my stomach. Something starts to happen in my brain, my chest. I'm like, I'm like, hey! I can't breathe right. I'm like, hey! Come down, whoa! Chelsea looks at me with that look. You know what I'm talking about, gentlemen? If something happens to that child, I will kill you. <laughs> and I'm like, hey! It's a little high. And he's like, we're fine. And I'm like, are you, are you sure? Like, you know when you start saying things to your kids that aren't for them? They're for yourself. <laughs> Be careful. Like, who's that for? Uh, it's for me. Is it slippery? Watch your step. Like, that's not helping him. That's helping me. It's, by the way, it's the same psychology when you're in your car and you talk to people outside of the car that can't hear you. It's the same thing. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. They can't hear you. You're doing that for you. Well, excuse you, right? That's what parents do. We talk to our kids for ourselves. Whoa, 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 whoa. You okay? You need anything? Am I gonna get them a snack? <laughs> so I'm sitting on the water and, and they're 50 feet in the air. True story. And now I'm going, I'm looking at the water. I'm like, do we even know how deep it is? Is this gonna, and, 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 and suddenly, my son is on a 50-foot cliff, and it feels like everything I care about in this life is on a cliff. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, and I am so uncool now. I'm like, hey, I, I would, 
What are you doing? Right? It's been like 20 minutes as they've been climbing this cliff. What are you doing? And, and my teenage son's like, we're cliff jumping, I think, Dad. I'm like, yeah, but, and, but now I know, I know that climbing down is far more unsafe than just jumping. So now he's got to jump. Chelsea's still looking at me with that stare like, this could be it for you. Suddenly, like, I don't know, it's like, it's such a dad instinct. I'm like, he was six weeks early. He's a preemie. What is he doing up there? That's my preemie. You know, like, you can't say that stuff out loud, man. It's your teenage son with his bleach blonde hair. And he's like, all right, dad, here I go. And I'm like, pray, pray, stop. I'm going to spank you. You know, I'm just like losing, offending people. Like, you can't do that to kids, you know. And, like, I'm really having... A moment, and, and, and sure enough, eventually he, unfortunately, he jumps. And it's like everything you care about in the whole wide world is suspended in air. And that 50 feet, like it took five minutes for him to hit the water. Everything, your life flashes before you. He hits the water, and then, you know, at that height, there's a lot of bubbles. And it's, it takes him like a minute and 30 seconds to surface. And so literally, I'm like... Is, is he okay? Chelsea, get in there and save him. <laughs> um, I said that. And so it's, it's hilarious, right? He pops up out of the surface. I'm like, oh, man, that was so cool, bro. It was amazing. Woo, that was so cool. Now I'm trying to be the cool dad. And then he's like, all right, dad, we're going to do it again. I'm like, nope, look at the time. Get in the boat. Get in the boat right now. Uh. <laughs> It's amazing how easy breezy I can be, except when it comes to my babies, except when it comes to my kids. There's just something about it, something that is, it's flesh of your flesh, it's bone of your bone. He's got my blood. He looks like his mom, thank God. Like, it just, it, it's, it's, your, it's your babies. And if you're a parent, and I have met with parents who've lost children and lost babies, and I, I just, I, they're my heroes, that you're still putting one foot in front of the other. Nothing more difficult, painful, nothing feels more fragile in this life than our children. And then, you know, your children have children, and you listen to my mom talk about her grandbabies and her grandkids, and she tells me on a daily basis, it's way better than you and Wendy. I'm like, oh, thanks, Mom, that's encouraging. Right, like, it's, it's, it's family, which makes you kind of pause at the words of Jesus, makes you kind of go, whoa, it's pretty intense. And Jesus, it's not like one verse where Jesus is like, hey, quit loving your family so much, focus on me. It's like, okay, you know, we could kind of work with that verse. But it's like verse after verse after verse. He gets into specifics like in-laws and stuff. And he's like, hey, I came to bring division. Everyone's like, what? A sword, what? Not peace, a sword. Now, Scripture interprets Scripture. That's imperative when understanding interpretation. So we know that he is the Prince of Peace. We know that he does bring peace. Furthermore, we know that he started the family. He created the family. He initiated the family. He loves the family. And the Bible says he puts the solitary in families. The church is called the family of God. We are his sons. We are his daughters. God loves the family. Jesus loves the family. So what is he saying? Is this anti-family messaging? Is this anti-family teaching? Well, don't get too caught up. Look for the emphasis. 
He says, I'm going to turn father against son, daughter against mother, and, and, and daughter-in-law, mother-in-law. And, 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 and you'll notice what the emphasis is, though, because it's repeated three times. Here's his point. He says, if you love your mom and dad more than me, what? You are not worthy of me. If you love, and this is, this is the passage that's hard for me, if you love your babies, your sons and daughters more than me, you are what? Not worthy of me. And then he says, if you don't pick up your cross, follow me, you are not worthy of me. And then here comes the famous verse that oftentimes is quoted and preached and taught. It's just not left in its context. And that is, hey, if you try to find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, if you forget about yourself and look at me, you'll actually end up finding who you really are. And more importantly, you'll find me. You'll find who I am. Now, why would Jesus put that all important? I mean, that is one of those climactic verses. That is one of those trademark verses. That's one of the more quoted verses amongst Jesus' followers. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him, lose your life, give it, release it, lose it, let it go. This, this is it. And, and yet, we forget that this verse here is in the context of your relationship to your family. To your family. Now again, let's establish something. Your family is God-given. Your family is instituted and ordained by God. God loves your family. How many know it is an honorable thing? The Bible says if you don't take care of your babies, right, it is, it is not good to God. You're to take care of your children, take care of your spouse, Take care of your, your, your parents. Take care. It's an honorable thing to honor your father and your mother. We could go on and on. The teachings around family that are instituted, ordained by God, valuable, honorable, memorable, important. Take care of your family. So what is Jesus doing? He seems to be dividing the family. Well, first of all, Jesus' audience and whom he's talking to, family would have been the highest of the social order. Family, much like it is today, is the backbone, the fabric and foundation of society, culture, cities, economies, etc. Family was essential. Family, in the cases of even some of these ancient individuals who are listening to Jesus, would have been the ultimate. Family, if I could say this, would be the untouchable part of a person's life. It occurs to me while listening to Jesus how much of our life we will release to God, we will let go to God, except maybe our family. God, you can have everything. You can have my career. You can have my finances. You can have all these. I'll, I'll, I'll trust you with, with all that. Power, money, sex. You can have all that. These are my babies. You can have all that, but this is the love of my life. God, you can have, I'll, I'll release to you finances and influence and sex and sexuality. I'll, I'll, I'll trust you with that, but I'll never forgive my dad for what he did. I'll never let go of how my mom offended me. I'll never be able to forgive my grandfather for what he It's amazing how family can be the one untouchable area of our life. It's amazing how family can be the one area of our life where it's like, God, I do trust you, I do trust you, but I've got to make sure, and so I'm going to go ahead and control and watch, and, I'm, and, 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 and Zion, come down from there. 
because I, it's too fragile, it's too, it's too important, it's too valuable, it's, too, it's, it's my family, I, I can't. And, 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 and here goes Jesus again. He says, do you love your babies more than me? Do you? Now, when Jesus says, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, what he does not mean is that, hey, most of the time, I want you to love me more than your spouse. Most of the time, I want you to love me more than you love your mom and dad. Most of the time, I want you to love me more than your babies. No, the teachings of Jesus are clear and emphatic. He means what he says. It means all the time. It means every single minute of every day. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And you've got to bat a thousand. You've got to do it 100% of the time. If not, you are not worthy of me. So I had a conversation with God. And I, I hope this doesn't offend you. So I read this, and I said, okay, Jesus, then I'm not worthy of you. Because I will be the first person to tell you, and maybe I'm the first pastor to ever say this to you, there are days I love my wife more than Jesus. Judah, how could you say that? It's obvious. Thinking about her more, holding on to her, obsessed with her, and Jesus is secondary. Part of it is she's physical, visible, I love how she looks, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I have to admit, there are days I think more about my babies. I'm concerned more about my babies than God. God's big. God's okay. God's great. I, I, Lord, I, 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 my babies. And don't you think God knows that? Don't you think God understands that, remembers that we're dust? Don't you think his teachings, he's not, he's not unaware of our fragility, unaware of our humanness. We are but dust, and he knows that about us. So what is Jesus doing? He's doing what he does all the time in his teachings. He's bringing you and me to our most powerful place, the end of ourselves. For here, he touches the untouchable. He speaks about the unspeakable. What kind of pastor would get up and preach on a passage that Jesus is here to divide my family? Jesus loves my family. Yes, he does, but he's making a point. And that is, the standard even for loving Jesus more than your family is impossible for you and me. It's impossible. It's impossible for us to sit here and pretend that every day of our life we love Jesus more than our family. It doesn't happen. So we must come to a passage like this and go, God, what do you want me to do? That's impossible. And that's how grace works. Lord, I can't, I, I'm going to be so worked up about my family. There are people in here today, you are wound up like a rubber band ball that you made in middle school. You know what I'm talking about? You are so worked up about your family, so worked up about taking care of your babies, so worked up about extended families, so worked up about your parents. They're, they're in old age, and now it's your responsibility to take care of them. It's so overwhelming, and it's so consuming, and it's so preoccupied you. And today you're like, no, Judah, don't talk about the family. It's all I can think about right now. It's consuming my every day. I'm thinking about, do we have enough money to take care of my babies and my family? And don't, don't preach on that. No, be encouraged, because it's impossible for any of us to live up to this standard. We can't do it. But when I'm weak, then I am strong, and the power of Christ rests upon me. It's in that place where we say, God, that's impossible. So what does he say? He says, then quit trying to hold on. 
For if you find your life, that word find, let me just translate, it means if you hold on to your life, you will lose it. If you try to control the most precious aspect of your existence, which for many of us is our family, you try to control it, you try to hold on to it, you'll only work yourself up into an anxious frenzy and you will not find the life that Jesus is destined for you to find. For he concludes, but... If you will forget about yourself, if you will lose your life, if you'll let it go, even in relationship to trying to control your family. For many people, the ultimate hope and security of life is at least I got my family. Jesus says, if you'll even let that go, you will find, you let it go, look at me, you'll find yourself. You ever had days where you're like, this is not me? Am I? Why? I never wanted to be this worried person. I never wanted to be that kind of parent. I never wanted to be that kind of friend. Why am I so insecure? Why am I so worried? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so fearful? Why am I? What, when, when did I become this person? Try to save your life, you'll, you'll lose it. Lose who you really are, even who you wanted to be. But Jesus says, if you'll let go, because you're looking at me, you'll find who you really are. And most importantly, you'll discover who I really am. But you've got to let go. Let go. Man, Jesus knows what he's doing. How many know that's an understatement? Because you could say, you could, let go of your money. I'd be like, Lord, it's yours. Right? Let go, let go of influence. Let go of people's perception. It's yours, it's yours, it's yours. Now give me your babies. Whoa, hold up. You can have them after a full life here on earth. It is amazing how sensitive this area is. And God made us that way. So he uses that space to say, even in this sacred space called the family, I need you to let go. And what's crazy, if you're in my season of life, you know what I'm talking about. I got a 14, 11, and a 9. All I have ahead of me is teenage after teenage after teenage years. And the message from God to this man is, you better let go or it's going to get weird. <laughs> it's a fact of life. You better... Some of the complications you're experiencing right now, not only in your relationship with God, but your relationship with others, is because you won't let go. You won't trust God. It is amazing to me to see this message played out in different portions and passages of Scripture, not the least of which is one of my favorites, which is Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha are, are if I could say it, they're like family to Jesus. How many know the highest compliment you can give somebody is, hey, you, you, you're family. You, you're family. Right, your family, because it's so sacred, it's so special, it's so near and dear and intimate to our heart. And so Jesus goes over to Mary and Martha's house in Luke, Luke chapter 10, and, and it's, like, it's, like, it's, it's like family. But something happens here that illustrates what I think Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 10. Notice uh, Martha, Martha, Martha and Mary, Mary and Martha, the Bible says, uh, Martha has a little sister named Mary, and this is all it says about Mary. This is the, the whole passage about Mary. This is it. It says, and, and, and she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. You can read that and go, 
so Mary didn't do nothing. Now, meanwhile, Martha, Martha, Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said to him, Lord, do you not care that my sister is left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, please hear me. Martha, Martha. By the way, he didn't say the name twice. When it says Martha, Martha, it means he said Martha in a way with so much emphasis, they repeat her name. So it would have been like, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Wound up. Anxious, fearful, worried about a, a whole list of stuff. Mary's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. So Martha gets rebuked. Mary gets commended. Jesus says, if you forget about yourself and look at me, you'll end up finding yourself in me. Here's my point. Much of the complexity that we're experiencing in our journey with Jesus comes from Doing things for God while thinking about ourselves. Let me say it again. Much of the complexity and challenge you're experiencing, one of the reasons you are wound up anxious, fearful, and worried is because you are constantly doing things for God while thinking about yourself. The Bible says Martha was not distracted with sin. Martha was not distracted with something bad. Martha was distracted with decorum. Martha was distracted with serving. Martha was doing what was culturally acceptable. If Jesus was coming to your house, wouldn't you kick the toys in the closet and whip up some food? Hello? Culturally speaking, even today in our modern culture, you're like, Mary, what is wrong with your free spirit? Right? Abstract random artist, got no sense? Get in the kitchen. But, but who's thinking about themselves? Mary or Martha? Martha. She's thinking about appearance. She's thinking about doing things for God while thinking about herself. And what does it lead to? Anxiety. All worked up in a frenzy. And you know what we end up looking like? Jesus' little helpers wherever we go. And just, I mean, we're just, it's like Christmas Day and Santa's little helpers. And we're all just running around trying to do things for God. I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna do great things for God. I wanna do great things for God. I wanna do great things for God. Have you ever run into a Christian who doesn't seem like they're doing very much at all for God, but they feel so restful and so peaceful and so kind and so encouraging and so complimentative? And you've sent all your kids on missions trips this summer. You know how much that costs? But here's the proverbial Joneses, their hair blowing in the wind as they walk in their favorite Starbucks, and the barista already knows their favorite drink. And you're like, ugh. Fellow Christians who seem to be so happy, but from what I can tell, they don't do a whole lot for the Lord. That's one of the attitudes that you'll develop, by the way, when you do things for God while thinking about yourself, you end up comparing yourself. And the Joneses drive you nuts. It's one of the dead giveaways. Lord, listen, listen, listen to the entitlement of Martha. Lord, tell her to help me. We telling God what to do now? We telling God what to do? Because apparently, Martha, God owes you and so does Mary. You ever felt like God owed you? You know why you feel that way? Because you do things for God thinking about yourself. And before you get discouraged, that's what we normally, naturally do. That's what we do. 
It creates all kinds of bizarre social experiences in churches like this too, when we're all working really hard for God while thinking about ourselves. And then we measure ourselves by ourselves, which is not wise, and there's comparison, and there's gossip, and there's, there's divisiveness, and, and, and there's all kinds of weird stuff that happens in church because we're constantly, it's not, it's not, that, we, it, it, it's, it's not that we mean bad, it, it, it's that we want to be good. And, and we want to be good because when we're good and we do good things, we feel good about ourselves, thinking about ourselves. If you relate to Mary more in this story, you're my hero. Because in the Western world I was raised, um, I get Martha a lot. Look at Mary, look at Mary. It's as if she's lost herself. What are you doing, Mary? The only description of Mary is that she's crisscross applesauce, if you will, <laughs> in front of Jesus. Talking about, say it again, Jesus, that was a good, can you tell me that story again? It's like, where is your decorum? Where is your proper cultural procedure? This is the son of God. Get up, help your sister. Get some hummus. You know what I mean? What are you doing? And Jesus, in a random turn of events, is like, Martha, you got the problem. Now watch this. He says, Mary has discovered the most important thing on the planet and I want to ask you, how did Mary discover that? Did Mary, did Mary go, now, Lord Jesus, before you come into the house, will you give me like top three, four, five things that kind of we're supposed to do as human beings on the planet? No, 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 no. Mary found the one necessary action and act of all human beings ever, what we were wired for and created for. Do you know how? She just got caught up. She just got mesmerized by Jesus and she lost herself because it is amazing what we'll do for God while thinking about ourselves, but all the more, it's extraordinary what we'll do for God while thinking about God. Do you know what Jesus is saying? Mary is doing for me. Mary is serving me in the highest way. for you. No, Mary, Mary found it. This is what I made you for. I made you to relate with you. And Mary found it not by trying to find it. Mary found it because she started thinking about me. And all of a sudden, there it is. If you'll forget about yourself, look at me. You'll find yourself. You'll find the purpose for which you were made. And you'll discover me and who I really am. Boy, when it comes to our family, it is amazing how much we'll do for God while thinking about ourselves, thinking about our kids, thinking about our spouse, thinking about dynamics, thinking about... God says, I want you to forget about that. I want you to let it go. And, and I, end, I end here. This is my, this is, that was my conclusion. This is my close. Leads us further on in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 10, 11, and then you get to Matthew 12. And watch what happens here, for it further illustrates the teachings of Jesus as Matthew 10. It says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath. His disciples, please hear this, his disciples were hungry, so they plucked heads of grain and they ate them. Now, that's a very harmless verse to many of us, but that is an illegal, it's an act that is illegal according to the Torah. I want you to see how Jesus works. Randomly, they're just walking through grain fields. Apparently, no one is gluten-free. 
and they're walking through grain fields and they're hungry. Watch how childlike this is. This is what it's like following Jesus. They're hungry and there's food. They take it, they eat it. No big deal. No big deal. No big deal. Doing things for God while thinking about God. I'm hungry. God will provide. No big deal. I trust him. You see the effortlessness here. You see the easier. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He is the fulfillment of the law. It seems illegal. And by the way, look who was watching. Is this not odd? It says, when the Pharisees saw it, my question is, how did they see them in the fields? Do these guys have a life? But it's amazing, when you do things for God while thinking about yourself, you'll often be on the lookout for other people and forget to live your own life with Jesus because you are comparing yourself. And so you'll spend hours on a computer blogging about other people who are free and eating. Can you, I mean, can, can you see the Pharisees? Check it out. Splitting the grains. Ah, they're eating. Like, Pharisees, why don't you go back to your homes? and be with your families, and be with your friends. But you got all the time in the world to critique other people. But that's the attitude and posture and perspective of someone who constantly does things for God while thinking about themselves. And so they start to complain, and Jesus has an extraordinary response that's filled with a lot of history, and David, and, and, and David is a type of the new covenant. And, 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 but then he, he goes on, and Jesus says, I, I tell you this, I tell you this, something greater than the temple is here. Now, nothing was greater than the temple. Nothing to the Pharisees, nothing was greater except God himself. Jesus is claiming to be God. But notice he does not say someone is greater than the temple. He says something which is speaking to the fact that he's about to establish a new way to relate to God, a new covenant. And he's saying in this new covenant, it is greater than the temple itself. We will become living temples. God will make a new covenant, not based on merit and effort and deeds and pedigree and background and the inability to keep the law, though we continue to try. It is going to be on the finished work of Jesus and what he's going to do for us. And he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He's going to establish the new covenant. And, and he says, I, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire, quoting now Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Here it is. It illustrates it again. Doing things for God while thinking about ourselves or doing things for God while preoccupied with God. One is mercy, one is sacrifice. But our flesh wants to sacrifice. What is sacrifice? It's doing big acts of service for God that make us feel better about ourselves. And if you have never done that, you've been saved for 12 seconds. The rest of us know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's a completely different thing that God desires. He does not desire big acts of service and rituals and things that make us appear godly. He says, I, what I want is mercy. Mercy is such a tender, small word with massive meaning. It means to be broken. It means to be tenderhearted. It means to be sensitive. It means to be like Mary. It means instead of focusing on what I gotta do, what do I gotta do, what do I gotta do, I'm focused on you. And you are so amazing. Jesus, that's what I, that's what I desire. You're up here criticizing the guys because they're having some frosted flakes, because they're having some mini wheats as we go through the fields on the Sabbath, but I don't, I don't desire your acts of service. I don't need you. I choose you and I want you for relationship. I desire 
mercy. And I'm translating that today as doing things for God while preoccupied with God. Do you see how effortless? See, Mary is in obedience. Do you see that? We make so much of obedience. Obedience, oftentimes, you don't even know you're being obedient when you're being obedient. That's the best kind of obedience. Because you're not focused on obedience, you're focused on Jesus, and then you end up doing the one thing you were designed for. And somebody someday will come up to you and say, how did you do it? And you'll say, what? what, what I'm sorry, what did I do? As you're crisscross applesauce in front of Jesus at 92 years old, and they'll be like, you live such a noble life. And I've said this a lot before because I believe in it. I believe it's the new covenant way. It's the new way of living in Jesus. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. You will live an effective, fruitful life, and you won't even truly realize it. And somebody will stop you and say, give me the 10 success keys to an efficient life. And you'll say, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? And they'll say, you seem to discover the one thing you were made for. And you'll go, I did? Go, Look at all that's happened in your life. Wow, what happened? I, I fell so in love with a man. I had never heard anybody talk like him. The way he speaks who he is, what he did for me, I, I loved him. That's why when the inter, you ever seen interviews with Mother Teresa? She, she's lost in the interviews. You should read some of the, doc, she'll be like, I'm sorry, what? Mother Teresa, you built all this, you, you gave your life for, the, for, for, for nobodies. And her answer would be, but if you do it to the least of these, she said, you, you do it unto him. So I do it, and it's as if Mother Teresa couldn't understand our cultural perspective on her. Because everyone's like, wow, what a life. And she's like, I'm sorry? Jesus is real. I love him. It's my honor to serve these children. That's the life you and I are called to. And I end with this. This is my close of the close. <laughs> Don't you judge me. It's my dad's fault. Right from this scene, right from this scene, the camera pans and Jesus is now in the synagogue. And he's about to demonstrate for us what he just said to the Pharisees. And it says this. It says he went out from there and entered the synagogue, the church. And a man was there with a, a withered hand. A hand is representative of authority and blessing and wouldn't you know it, control in Scripture. He's going to illustrate it for us. And they asked him, Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And Jesus says, listen now. And the man with the withered hand is listening. And this is a short sermon, but it's powerful. He says, which one of you has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit, even on the Sabbath, you'll take hold of it and lift it out. He says, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, I've never seen this before, but I would like to propose to you what I think happened in this scene. And let's understand the man with the withered hand and what his journey must have been like. Because in these days, to have a deformity in your body was of spiritual significance. It meant that this man was spiritually deficient. He had some insufficiencies. He had done something wrong or his ancestors had done something wrong. This man would have been taught from the Torah that to cure his withered hand, please hear me, he would have to offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. That is animal sacrifice. This man's life was defined by being self-conscious, sin-conscious, deformed-conscious. And everywhere he went, 
for those that might see his hand that I'm sure he tried to hide at every turn would make a mental note, that man has done something wrong. So his whole life, in relationship to the synagogue, I propose to you that he's probably at the synagogue to make animal sacrifice. But God does not desire sacrifice. He desires mercy, an open heart, a tender heart, a sensitive heart. So Jesus begins to illustrate the value of this man's life. And I propose to you that this man was listening to the God-man and he had never heard anybody talk like this. And while he's standing there in the synagogue, his place of condemnation and guilt and shame, Jesus starts to speak truth for he is truth. And I believe that the man with the withered hand forgot about himself. And he stood there in awe of a man who might be the first man, please hear me, who had ever added value to this deformed man. And he says, is he not of more value? Watch Jesus, he's classic, this is classic Jesus. He always adds value to those who are marginalized, those who are overlooked, those who are belittled, those who are berated, those who are less than in society. He says, is he not of more value than your sheep? And then watch. He says, sir, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. The very thing you have been trying to fix and control, I want you to let go. I want you to let go. Can you imagine how many times that man with the withered hand would have tried to stretch his fingers, try to make his hand better? I can't. I got to, I, I, this is embarrassing. I've got to fix this. I got to fix my kids. I got to fix my marriage. I got to fix, I can't do it. I, this is the one thing that I, I I'm going to hide it until I fix it. I'm going to hide it until I do enough to make it right. I'm going to, I can't, I can't, I can't. And Jesus starts to speak and his heart's on fire. And he says, stretch out your hand. And the man does the unthinkable in church. He, I think he's surprised by his own action. He said, he just put it out there. He let go. He forgot about himself while looking and listening to Jesus. And do you know what happened? Please hear me, and I'm done, I'm done. And, and the Bible says, immediately, his hand was made as healthy as the other. And all of a sudden, this man went from sacrifice, went from law, condemnation, guilt, shame, blood, sweat, and tears, and he just got transferred into the supernatural life where God does things according to grace. We are not called, church, to live a natural life. We are called to live a supernatural life. And the doorway to the supernatural life is when you get caught up with Jesus. And you don't, you don't, you don't need music playing softly and a preacher on Sunday. You can do it at coffee with a friend. Please hear me. But it's in these conversations, it's when we listen to music and it speaks of God and, and we talk and we think and we read and we contemplate and, 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 and we encourage one another and, and, and we start to look at him that all of a sudden we let go of things we have tried to control our whole life. And you know what happens? God supernaturally does for you, dad, does for you, mom, does for you, son, daughter, what you could never do for yourself. And you enter in to the supernatural life. I don't know 
why I say what I say all the time, but I'm telling you what I sense as the pastor of this community, that what is ahead for church home, it is imperative right now for us to hear the message from heaven. We must let go. It's time to let go. That thing you've been trying to control, it might be as intimate and private and personal as your own family. So look to him. That's the only power. It's the only power. If you focus on letting go, you won't let go for long. But if you focus on Jesus, you'll put it out there. Jesus, you can have it. I trust you. And he will do a miracle with your family or a miracle with your business or a miracle with your marriage. It's the supernatural life. It's the supernatural. We need the supernatural. Where we're going, we need the supernatural. We need, we need the supernatural. We can't heal people. We can't save people. We can't deliver. We need, we need the supernatural. But we got we to gotta let go. We got to let go. What is it that God's asking you to let go of? That thing that you perceive you're in control of. I end with this. Martin Luther was recorded many, many years ago, centuries ago, as saying, Control and security is the ultimate idol of humanity. And he says, we prove time and time again that we will exchange almost anything for a quote-unquote taste of it. Oh, brothers and sisters, in light of our gracious, beautiful, wonderful God, let us let go of what we can't control anyways. But he can. It is not by might, it is not by power, it is by my spirit, says the Lord. There are some supernatural days ahead for many people in here that I'm talking to. And already it's happening in your heart, in your spirit. Already God is talking to you. Already God is speaking to you. Already your attention's turning to him. That's the work of the spirit of Jesus, is your attention. And things are gonna start to unravel. Things are gonna start, the tension's gonna give. You're gonna let go. You're gonna experience supernatural peace. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, we decide by the revelation of your goodness, your grace, and your person, we're going to be the people that let go. We don't understand all that's ahead, but we got a sense that what's ahead is exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask think, or even imagine possible. So we pray, not our will be done. Your kingdom come, and your will be done in our lives. Oh God, may our lives be preoccupied with you, and from that place of worship, may it be our honor and privilege to live this life for you, to honor you, to serve you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Jude, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you would like to make the decision to accept the forgiveness that only Jesus offers and begin a journey of following him for the rest of your days, I want to pray for you. It's the greatest miracle of all. And so I'm going to ask you on the count of three to lift up your hand if you want to receive Jesus, you want to receive his forgiveness, be a part of his family and begin following him.
for the rest of your days. I ask you to respond by raising your hand because when you respond outside to what's happening on the inside, it makes it more real to you. That's all. That's all. You know who you are. One, God loves you so much. Two, I believe you'll never be the same. Three, if that's you, just shoot up your hand all over the auditorium and say, man, that's me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else, just shoot up your hand. I'm going to include you in this prayer. So Jesus, I thank you whom you set free is free indeed. Free all the way, forgiven forever, past, present, future. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you that forgiveness flows freely in this place. We love you, Lord. May we never, ever take for granted the miracle of salvation, forgiveness. You're incredible. Secondly, if you're here and you say, Judah, so much of my days recently have been doing things for God while thinking about myself. I want to be preoccupied with God and follow him. That's what I want. If that's you, would you shoot your hand up all over the auditorium? Lord, you see these hands. You see our response to your word, to your ways, to your story. You're extraordinary. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. You're indescribable. We love you so much. It is our honor. It is our privilege to live this life for you. God, we pray, Lord, you'd fill our mind. You'd fill our soul. You'd fill our heart. You'd fill our thoughts. You'd fill our mouth. You'd fill our eyes and ears with your ways and your beauty and your majesty. Now we dedicate these moments that we have now as Lord, we use harmony and melody as a platform to connect with you. May you preoccupy us. May you fill us again anew with a passion and love for who you are and what you've done. And we thank you this church is yours. Build your church and we thank you the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If you're physically able and willing, would you stand with us and let's join the band and let's sing out passionately our praise to God.